Recently, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a web designer in Colorado who, who said she had the First Amendment right not to provide services for same-sex marriages. And this was despite a state law that banned discrimination against gay people. And I was reading this one article regarding this ruling. And in this article, there's this one image that really stuck out to me. In this photo, there were many standing in front of the Supreme Court building holding signs obviously with statements against the ruling. But there was this one sign right in the middle of the, the image that really caught my attention. On it, it stated that there is no hate like Christian love. There is no hate like Christian love. Now, I don't know what all this person may have encountered with Christianity throughout his or her life. It was clear that they opposed the ruling. They opposed the view that this, this person held about traditional marriages. And because she stood up for her belief that marriage is between a man and a woman, ordained by God, this person and the rest of them viewed this as evil. They're calling the love of God hatred. Thus, when Christians stand up for the truth, we quickly see the opposition towards the church. See, the world hates the truth. In John 3.20, Jesus says, For everyone who does evil hates the light. So this is no surprise to us. And I share this because this is just one example of the many opposition that Christians face all throughout the world and in our culture. You see, the world hates the light. And believers are called to be the light in this dark world. And as we stand for the truth, we will be opposed by the world. As we continue to share the good news of the gospel about love. The fact that there's only one way to God, the world will see it as hatred. That we're closed-minded. That we are not inclusive enough. And so we will experience opposition. We will experience hatred. We will experience persecution. This is what we will expect in a sinful world. And that is the focus of our text this morning. Our relationship uh, to the world is that of 
hatred. Not us hating the world, but the world hating us. So let me read our text for us before we begin. We're in John 15, verses 18 through 25. John 15, 18 through 25. Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. For they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. In these verses, we will consider two crucial components that show the fundamental reality of the world's hatred, the world's animosity towards God and his people. Two crucial components that show the fundamental reality of the world's animosity towards God and his people. First, we will consider the reality of the world's hatred. And secondly, we will consider the reasons for the world's hatred. Now, before we look at our text, let me provide for us the context to our study. So far in chapter 15, we have considered Jesus' instruction to the eleven about relationships that they will have in this life. First and foremost, their relationship to God in verses 1 through 11. We consider that we are to abide in him. We are to remain in him. We are to dwell in him. And this should mark us as believers. We are to look to God. We are to look to Christ. This past Wednesday, we considered our relationship to one another, that we are to be marked by mutual love for one another. And now our Lord discusses this morning about our relationship to the world. So let's begin by considering the first component, and that is the reality of the world's hatred, the reality of the world's hatred in verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Here we see the reality of the world's hatred towards God and towards his people. And this characterizes the world. And Jesus says, if the world hates you, meaning not as if they may not, 
It's a conditional statement. And in the Greek, there are multiple conditional statements. And this is that of, it, you are to assume that they will hate you. That this will be a reality. That this is a true statement. This is an assumption that hatred will be experienced by the believer in this world. And that word for hate here is a strong word. Again and again, Jesus uses it in our text. It means to detest something, to abhor it, to stand in strong opposition to something or someone. And that opposition is from the world, and it is directed towards you and I. It is directed towards followers of Christ. Now the question is, who or what does the world represent? Who is the world? When John uses this term, he's not talking about the entire human race. Rather, he's talking about a world system. A system that has fallen a system filled with unregenerate people who are in rebellion against God, who are hostile to him, who are in the flesh. And this world system is controlled by Satan. John writes in 1 John 5.19, we know that we are of God and that the whole world that is the ordered system, lies in the power of the evil one. This is the world. It is ruled by Satan, filled with people who hate God, and thus oppose God's people. And since the world hates God's people, Jesus adds, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. The point that Jesus is making here is that the world hates their creator. The world has hated Christ. And this is before hating you. And so the message is clear. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised John says the same thing in his letter in 1 John 3, 13. Don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. By the way, we see this hatred being played out towards Jesus and towards the disciples as we continue reading the rest of the Gospels and Acts. We see their hatred lead Christ to the cross. In a few hours from this very night, Jesus would be captured. He would be falsely tried. He would be beaten. He would be mocked. He would be ridiculed. Then he would be hung on a cross to die. That's the world's hatred towards God, their creator. And again, because they hate their creator... Because they hate Christ, they will also hate his followers. And so when we look at Acts, we see cases of persecution 
towards the church. As the truth is proclaimed, as the church is established, the people of God are persecuted. They're hated. They're ridiculed. In fact, the lives of all those that were there with Christ that very night, all of them except for for John were killed. And when you consider John, he experienced hatred. He was persecuted. He was exiled. But you see, the hatred did not stop with them. It continued all throughout church history. Early on, the church faced opposition from the Roman Empire. And many believers were martyred. Later on, fast forward to the Reformation. The church was persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church. I did a Google search, and I found that more than 70 million Christians have been martyred over the last 2,000 years. Now, this may be a conservative number, but that's a lot. And more than half of that has been in the 20th century. So what Jesus said to his disciples has played out the last 2,000 years. And even now, in America, we may not be martyred at this point, although it seems like we're heading in that direction, but we're still persecuted. We're hated for the stance we may take. If we stand up for the truth, and God is truth, his word is true, we will be opposed. And Jesus is saying, you will be hated. By the way, if you're not experiencing this in any form, then you need to consider if you're standing up for the truth in the way you're living your life. Are you ashamed of Christ or are you ashamed of the gospel? That you're not willing to share that with those in the world. You see, the reality is the moment you start proclaiming Christ, the moment you start standing up for the truth, you will quickly be faced with opposition in our culture. Just recently, I came across a story of a Christian professor who taught biology at a college in San Antonio. He was fired for affirming the fact that there are only two genders. And he's been teaching there for, I believe, the last 20 years. Because where our culture is, If you affirm that truth, you may face opposition like this. We may not lose our lives, but our jobs may be impacted. You may lose your job. You may be overlooked for a promotion that you desire and want. For you students, 
depending on assignments that you do, if you write a paper or so, and you say something that is the truth, you may get a bad grade, maybe even be identified as someone who hates others. Maybe even there may be division in the family, broken relationships between parents and children, between friends. So depending on whether you stand up for the truth, Jesus is saying, not if, but when, you will face opposition. This is a reality for those who follow Christ. Listen to Paul in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Thus, this response of the world, when we stand up to, for the truth, when we face such opposition, it should not be a surprise to us. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So this is the reality of the world's hatred towards God and towards his people. Now, as we continue, we come to a second component. And that is the reasons for the world's hatred. The reasons from verses 19 through 25. In the following verses, Jesus spells out why the world will hate us. Look at verse the first reason is because believers are the elect of God. Believers are the elect of God. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. He's saying if you were of this world, that is, if you belong to the world, they would love you as their own. They wouldn't hate you. You would be on their team. So they would love you. And they would love you because you don't speak truth into their lives. It's because you share the same values, the same pleasures. As a world, you're focused on self, your own self-interest. You love sin. You're indifferent towards sin. So you won't call out sin in their lives. And because of this, they would love you. But the reality is, if you're in Christ, you're not of this world. And since you're not of this world, the world will hate you. Now, why are you not of the world? Jesus makes it clear. It's because Jesus has chosen you out of this world. That may sound familiar to us because Christ has already made this point in uh, verse 16. There he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. And here he makes that statement again. He had sovereignly elected the disciples, the 11, 
And Christian, he has chosen you. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. He transferred you from the domain of darkness into why? Into his kingdom. So the world hates you for this reality. And because you are chosen, you've been regenerated, you are a new creation in Christ. So the old life that you live, lived, you no, no longer live. You are different. Now you seek to please God. Now you seek to love God. Now you seek to delight in the Lord. Now you seek to put off the old self and put on the new. You are different. And friends, when you do that, you stand out. Your family notices, your friend notices this change. You begin to stand up for the truth in the world. You seek to live a holy life. You seek to do the right things at work. You do not seek to take the easy way. Your language begins to change. And when, when all of this starts happening, you begin to see the friction between yourself and the world. And the world notices it. And the world begins to treat you differently. And the more and more you stand up for the truth, you begin to feel and experience the opposition and the hatred. And so the first reason they hate you is because you are the elect of God. You are chosen of God. There's a second reason we find for the world's hatred and that is because the world hates the Lord Jesus Christ. The world hates the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20. Now we have already considered this hatred in verse 18. There Jesus said, You know it hated me before it hated you. And here it begins to explain that a little bit further. Look at verse 20. Remember the word I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This was a maxim that Jesus often used. He used it in Matthew 10, 24. He even used it earlier in the Upper Room Discourse in, in John 13, 16. We've seen that. There, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And then he made this statement. And the point there was about humble service to one another. If the master is content in washing his, his servants' feet, we must also do the same. Thus, a slave is not greater than his master. That was the point in John 13. And here, he uses the same statement, but applies it to persecution. The disciples should expect to follow Christ, Christ's example in suffering. The point is, if they persecuted him, 
Why would they not persecute you? Why would they not hate you? If they hated me, they will hate you. And this principle is seen elsewhere in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 1.5, it says, The sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Paul writes in Galatians 6.17, For now on let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Because he followed Christ, because he proclaimed Christ, he was hated. He was persecuted. He bore in his body the sufferings of Christ. Peter, the one who was listening to our Lord that very night in, in 1 Peter 2.21 says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So Christian, you shouldn't expect anything else. If Christ was persecuted, if he was hated, it, we will be too. And like him, like his examples, we are to endure suffering. The master is greater. The slave is not greater than the master. But an encouraging note is added in the mix of all of this word of hatred. Jesus ends the verse with, If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. As with our Lord, the majority of the people rejected him. The majority of the people rejected the disciples. Thus, they were persecuted. But they were a minority. They were a remnant that did listen, that did hear the message. Instead of hating them, instead of persecuting them, they received the truth. This was the case with Paul when he preached the message in Athens, at Mars Hill. In Acts 17.32, he was preaching about the resurrection of the dead. And when he did so, there in verse 32 of chapter 17, he says, some began to sneer. But then if you go down to verse 34, it said, but some men joined him and believed so there was a remnant who accepted their message. And friends, this should be an encouragement to us to continue to proclaim the message of the gospel. Yes, we will be hated by the world. But there will be a remnant who will receive. The reality is we are all who are in Christ are remnants. We're initially haters of God. We're haters of his people. But by his grace, a faithful Christian, share the gospel to us. And we received it. And so in this context of hate, 
there's this glimmer of, of light and hope which should motivate us to continue on, to stand up for the truth, to share the gospel, to proclaim Christ. Though we will be hated, there will be a few who will receive. MacArthur writes in his commentary, the joy of seeing those few come to faith in Christ far outweighs the sorrow caused by the hatred and hostility of the many who reject the gospel. So let this be an encouragement to us as we proclaim Christ, as we experience hatred, find joy in the reality that he is working through us to draw his people to him. But the main point here is that followers of Christ will face opposition. We will receive the same treatment as Christ for better or for worse. And ultimately, such persecution is because they opposed our Lord. They hated our Lord. And they do hate our Lord. That's why in verse 21, Jesus states, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. That idea of the name is really a reference to the person, the, the character so again, the emphasis is on the fact that the world will hate the disciples because of Christ, for his name's sake. This is the same idea that is used in reference to the Apostle Paul. After his conversion on the Damascus Road, speaking to Ananias about Paul, Jesus declared this. He said, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And he did suffer for Christ's sake. And so will we. And we should rejoice in that. Because our suffering is not meaningless. It's for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a third reason for the world's hatred. And that is because the world does not know the Father. The world does not know the Father. Look at verse Look at the end of verse 21. Because they do not know the one who sent me. The ultimate reason for, for the world's hatred can be traced back to the fact that they do not know God. They hated the disciples of Christ. They hated the followers of Christ all throughout church history. They hated Christ himself. And their hatred toward Christ ultimately exposed the fact that they do not know the one true and living God. See, there's many in the world who say they believe in God. They're religious. They're spiritual. They say they have a relationship with God. But in reality, if they hate God's people, if they hate Christ, they do not know God the Father. This means those who believe in Islam, they do not know the one true God because they reject Christ. They hate Christ. And this included the Jewish leaders who hated Christ and his disciples. They opposed him at every corner. They had the law of God, 
But they did not know God. They did not know the Father. And this is not just me saying it. Listen to Jesus. In John 8, 41, this is the religious leaders. They say, we have one Father, God. They're acknowledging the fact that they followed the one true God. That God is their Father. Now listen to the way Jesus responds in verse 42. He said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Later on, he goes on to say that God is not their father. Satan is their father. Hear me, the only way to know God the Father, the only way to know the one true and living God is through Christ alone. We've seen this in our study of the Upper Room Discourse already. In John 14, 6, what does he say? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so if there's people who say they follow God, they love God, that God is their father, but they reject Christ, they do not know God. They do not know the Father. In fact, verse 23, look there. It says, those who hate Christ really hate God as well. If they hate Christ, if they hate, if they reject Christ, what that means is they hate God and they have rejected God. They don't know God. It's the reason the world hates Christ and his people is because they truly do not know God the Father. Exposing the fact that they, in fact, really hate God. They hate him. There's a fourth reason that we find for the world's hatred. And that is because Jesus exposes the world's sin. Jesus exposes the world's sin, verses 22 through 25. Verse 22, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did... They would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. Notice here, twice in verse 22 and 24, Jesus says, they would not have sin. If, if he had not come and spoken to them, if he had not done the works that no one else did, they would not have sin. Now, when Jesus says that, he's not saying that until I came, they were fine, that they were sinless. We know that's not true. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 1 tells us creation testifies that there is a God. So they are left without excuse. 
Romans 2 tells us the law of God is written in their hearts. So they know right from wrong. So even if Jesus didn't come, they're still condemned. So what does Jesus mean here when he says that they have no sin, that they would not have sin? Well, Jesus was not speaking of sin in general. Rather, he was speaking of the specific sin of of willfully rejecting him, rejecting him in the face of full revelation of God which he demonstrated through his words and through his works. Hebrews 1 tells us that in the last days, God has spoken through his Son. Christ is the the full expression, the ultimate revelation of God. So Jesus was saying, if I had not come to you, You would not be guilty of such a sin, but you are. Because you have seen God. You have been exposed to the full revelation of God. I have come. I have demonstrated to you that I am from the Father. My words are his words. My works are his works. And yet you have rejected me. Thus, they were guilty of rejecting the greatest revelation of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. They are guilty of that specific sin. Friends, when he came, when Jesus came, he confronted them of their sins. He revealed their love for sin. And he warned them to repent And because of this, they hated Christ. Listen to to Jesus in John 3, 19 and 20. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men have loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. In John 7, 7, there Jesus says, The world hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. So Jesus being the ultimate revelation of God, Jesus confronting their sins out of love for them, they took that as hatred. And so they rejected God. They rejected Christ. Notice at the end of verse 24, But now they have seen, they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. The result was that their hatred of the son meant they hated God. We've seen this already. You see, the son and the father are one. You remember in John 14, 8, Philip asked, show us the father. And Jesus responded, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Thus Jesus revealed the Father to them. And so when they rejected Christ, 
they not only just rejected him, they rejected the Father. They rejected his words. They rejected his works. So they rejected both Christ and the Father. Because ultimately, he came and exposed their sin. And because they loved their sin, they rejected him. They hated him. Now, Christ is not on, earth, on the earth today with us, physically present, like he was there. But the principle still applies here. We have the full revelation of God in the pages of Scripture. We see the glory of Christ in the pages of Scripture. And here, as we're going through John, as we're being exposed to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we're being exposed to Christ in 1 John, you are being exposed to Christ, the full revelation of God. And thus, in the same way, if you, if you reject Christ as they did, you are guilty of this sin. So my plea to you is that you would really, if you really are rejecting Christ, my plea to you is please, for a moment, consider who Christ is. The reason you're rejecting him is because you are loving your sins. And you don't like the fact that Jesus confronts you of that sin. But understand that he's doing that because he loves you. And in his grace, you're here and you're hearing the proclamation of the gospel of Christ as God's means to draw you to him. And he's telling you to come to him. And he's the only savior for you. He's the only savior for the world. Come to him. Grab hold of Christ. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. If you come to him on his terms, he will forgive you of all your sins. You will be a new creation. You will no longer love your sin. Rather, you will hate your sin. And you will love God. You will love Christ. And you will have a true and lasting relationship with him. And that is the good news of the gospel. Christ came to save sinners like you and me. So if you really hate Christ, I urge you, for a moment, consider who this Christ is. He doesn't hate you. But if you continue in your sins, you will face his wrath. Come to him. Now this section ends with an amazing reality. All this opposition to Christ is all under God's sovereign authority. Look at verse 25. 
But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without the law here referring.